The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey, except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals, and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. This is a lesson about less. In the second half of the Gospel for today, Jesus sends his disciples on a trip. It's not exactly a vacation, but some of the rules are the same, including this one, pack light. No bread, no bag, no money. One staff, one tunic, two sandals, but only one friend. And then off you go. So why does Jesus do that? It's practical, of course. If you've already been on vacation this summer and driven from here to there with a minivan full of dog chews, ice skates, bait boxes, and beach chairs, then I'm sure you wish you'd have taken less. But it's really about piety. Jesus is teaching us a lesson about what's important. It's a lesson about what we really need, about what is necessary and what is not. It is a lesson about who and what we can depend on. When they pack light, the only thing the disciples have left is Jesus. All they carry with them is Jesus and his guarantee to stand by them and to work through them. To them at first it probably seemed odd and it may have even been a bit frightening. But by the end of the story the disciples are delightfully surprised. When they spoke, sinners repented. When they prayed, demons got out of their way. And when they touched the sick with oil, the sick were miraculously and immediately healed. But all of that wasn't really them at all. 
It was Jesus. It was the Jesus they were carrying with them. It was he who made wrongs right. There shouldn't be much to argue with here, but we now live in a world that is post and increasingly even anti-Christian. In the popular descriptions of Christians these days, I rarely recognize you or me or Jesus and his disciples. Of course, Jesus faced this kind of bias too. Today, in the first part of the Gospel, the now slightly famous Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth. But very quickly, he becomes a prophet without honor in his hometown. The hometown folks have their hands so full of baggage, so full of presuppositions and demands and expectations, that they've got no room left to hold him dear. They want a Messiah who is an Ivy Leaguer and preferably from out of town, someone who is uncommon and even a bit mysterious. They don't want a local blue-collar boy who they've known forever, whose family is here. And so Jesus is automatically disqualified. And because Jesus never works by force, he can't touch or talk or pray the hometown folk back into righteousness. Which brings us all the way back around to you and to me. I'm actually not much of an alarmist about the post-Christian and even anti-Christian reports. And frankly, at least some of this is our own fault. Over the past 2,000 years, we've had an advantage in the Western world that we probably didn't deserve and which now we certainly have squandered, and we know why. The church always goes wrong for precisely the same reasons that the synagogue in Nazareth went wrong. It goes wrong when it fills its mouth and its hands and its heart with so many extra things that are not Jesus that there is no room left to hold him dear. No room left to hold dear what matters most, Jesus and his travels, his authority, his words, his prayers, and his healing touch. I do want to be very clear here. It is not wrong to ask questions the way they did in Nazareth. It is not wrong to have beautiful things, nor to have lives that are prosperous and learned and accomplished. It's only wrong to have these things when they get in the way, when these things displace Jesus and his authority and his travels and word and deeds, when they push his prayers out of the way and his healing touch is forgotten. It goes wrong, especially when they push Jesus' cross far from us. When that happens, when our hands are so full of our own ideas and our own expectations, our own stuff, 
and our own habits, so full of those things that we can't get a grip on Jesus, Jesus loves us best by trimming us back to the bare necessities, just as he did in the synagogue today. To learn again that all we really need to be disciples are one staff and one tunic, two sandals but only one friend, and best if that friend is Jesus. That's how we learn again what is important, what matters, who we are, and what we can depend on. Finally, a warning from my dear grandmother, God rest her soul, to keep us from forgetting who's running the show around here. When my grandmother visited Paris during the Vietnam War and some protesters threw rocks at her bus, she came home to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and she proclaimed loudly to anyone who would listen with some measure of pride and indignation that she had shaken the dust off her feet against the French. She was my grandmother, and she ran a lot of shows in her day, but she didn't get this one exactly right. She wasn't on a mission trip, and so far as I know, on that bus tour, no sinners were called to repentance, and no sick were healed, and no demons were cast out. The gospel is not about her, and it's not about me or you. It's not about how we feel, and it's not even about how folks treat us, not even in a post-Christian world. The gospel is about Jesus and what he brings and what he gives for free, and what he asks of us, and what happens to us and to others when we carry Jesus into the world. From time to time, we may suffer because of that, but it's nothing new. And if we cling to Jesus and to his gifts, then you will see on some very special days, a few folks around the synagogue actually will get healed and a few families will make you dinner and ask you to stay the night. And sometimes sinners will open their hands and drop their sins to the ground and walk away full of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the demons will flee and sometimes the sick will come back to life. I've seen it all myself. And then when miracles do happen and our world is recharged with blessing because we cling to Jesus as the source and not to the stuff that fills this earth. It means our bags are properly packed and our path is righteous and our future is certain because come what may, we are in God's hands forever. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.